Politics Considered, the show in which we discuss some things political. I'm your host, Bill Gallagher. On today's show, we will be discussing Indonesia, and I'm honored to have a high-level ambassador as my guest today. Indonesia is the third largest democracy in the world, the fourth most populous nation, and the largest economy in Southeast Asia. The United States was one of the first countries to establish diplomatic relations with Indonesia in 1949, four years after its independence from the Netherlands. There's a lot of exciting buzz about the 75th anniversary of U.S.-Indonesian relations. Many celebrations are planned for Indonesian embassies in the U.S. and U.S. embassies in Indonesia. Every U.S. president except one has visited Indonesia and met with Indonesian presidents. The one that did not visit is Donald Trump. According to Pew Research, Indonesians had only a 20% favorable view of President Bush, but an over 70% favorable view of President Obama. It dropped back down to 20% favorable under President Trump. Indonesians currently have a favorable view of President Biden. Indonesia is an important global partner. The excellent diplomatic relations between the U.S. and Indonesia are important to both countries. I will be discussing all of this and more with my esteemed guest. I'm thrilled to have Dr. Nana Yuliana here on the show. Ambassador Yuliana is Indonesia's ambassador for Cuba, the Bahamas, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, and Jamaica. Prior to her current position as ambassador, she was Indonesia's consul general in Houston, Texas. She has degrees in English, linguistics, international relations, and a PhD in developmental studies from the University of Santo Tomas in the Philippines. In addition to being an ambassador, she is also currently a professor at Paramandina University and Indonesian National Institute of Public Administration, where she teaches graduate-level public policy courses. I was honored to speak to her class recently on Zoom about public policy in the United States and was impressed with her students. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Yuliana. Well, thank you very much uh, for having me at this interesting podcast, Bill. Good afternoon from Havana, Cuba. I feel very honored to be invited to have a conversation with you. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your whirlwind schedule. I follow you on social media and you're like that movie, everything, everywhere, everyone, all at once. So I, I really do appreciate you taking the time. So before we talk about Indonesia, I must talk about the current war in Gaza Indonesia is one of 138 United Nations member countries that recognize Palestine. And as I understand it, Indonesia was the first country to recognize the independence of Palestine in 1988. And I will just note here that the United States is one of 54 United Nations members that not recognize Palestine. So, and Indonesia has a Palestine embassy. So I realize that this is complicated, but can you tell us what Indonesia government's position is regarding this current war? Thank you, uh, Bill, for the question. Well, first of all, of course, on behalf of the government of Indonesia, I would like to express our deeply concern regarding the conflict in Gaza Strip. The government of the Republic of Indonesia position is always against war, especially when the issue relates to the occupation of a nation from other national. Indonesia is consistent against colonialism and occupation, which are in line with the mandate of our 1949 constitution and its preamble. Our Minister of Foreign Affairs expresses strongly protests to the United Nations Security Council because actually UN Security Council has a moral obligation to save the lives of innocent people. And we need to defeat justice and also humanity. We strongly condemn Israelis' violence against Palestinians, against hospitals and places of worship, indiscriminate killings, kidnappings, and it is inhuman and against international law. You know, Bill, Israel occupied the Palestinians' lands, so both sides needing to cease fighting and exercise restraint. Indonesia calls for the war and violence to be stopped immediately to avoid further casualty, casualties and also destruction of property 
because the escalation of the conflict can cause greater humanitarian impact. Israel has been occupied the land for 56 years, you know, and no political and yet until now. And for your information, we have no diplomatic ties with Israel. So that is our position. We hope that a fire between both parties can be stopped. Yes, I certainly, it is a tragic situation. And I have friends on all sides of this. It's it's complicated. You mentioned hospitals. I just want to clarify, at the very beginning of this, there was a hospital strike and the New York Times uh, wrongly said that it was Israel without any information. And then later it was determined that it wasn't. So I understand that Indonesia actually has a hospital in Gaza. And I saw in the news that many Indonesian doctors and their families were just recently killed by airstrikes. Can you just tell us about these doctors, their family, and what's happening with Indonesians in Gaza? This is true what you said, that we have Indonesian hospital in Gaza, which is constructed with the the donations from Indonesian nationals and also the organization. And Mercy, this is the organization that built the hospital in Gaza, built the hospital in the year 2011. And the hospital is struggling to treat the deluge of patients wounded in Israeli bombardment. Amid willing medicine stops and the blackouts, they have to open, they have to do the operation in the darkness. And for your information also, that despite the lack of medicine, anesthetic, electricity, the doctors and paramedics now is busy helping the victims. Some of them are women and children and also others. Also, until now, there are more than 2,500 people being treated in the Indonesian hospital. Yeah, and more than 800 died. At the moment, there are 10 Indonesian in Gaza, and we have also 35 Indonesian in West Bank. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Republic of Indonesia announced that all Indonesian in Palestine are safe. You, you said that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Indonesia wanted to clarify what about the residents? Well, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced that all Indonesian in Palestine are safe. Oh, okay, good. All right. And they always communicate with the capital city of uh, Indonesia. Well, is their communication, are they able to communicate like on WhatsApp or something like that? Uh, Sometimes there is a, a cut of co- uh, communication, but recently it's uh, going on again. And we have uh, successfully evacuated four Indonesians, plus uh, the wife of the Indonesian to be evacuated to Egypt, uh, Cairo. So this is a, a situation a, a, at the moment. We don't have many Indonesian. We only have uh, uh, 10 Indonesian in Gaza itself and uh, 35 in, in the West Bank. So does this some of the people, so some of the staff at the Indonesian hospital are not Indonesian, right? Some of them are not Indonesian, but some they are doctors from Indonesia, and also some staff are also from from Indonesians. So they're working uh, in, in, in the hospital until now, but the family that we successfully evacuated is, uh, uh, we, we, we helped them to evacuate to uh, Cairo, to Egypt, uh, four Indonesian plus uh, one, um, the wife of the Indonesian. Because That's there's a good. lot of, uh, yeah, because there's a lot of administrative process also that, uh, things to be done uh, at the uh, at the Gaza uh, Gaza Strip. So um, our government worked very hard to be able to reach to outreach the Indonesians, and we communicated with the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the of Egypt uh, to help them while they are in the in a safe place in in Cairo. And I assume Indonesia has great relations with Egypt. Qatar with these countries there so that you're able to help get your people. Um, Are you also, is Indonesia also working on humanitarian supplies, getting them in? Yes. uh, Well, Indonesia will send soon the humanitarian aid. 
So uh, our government decided uh, already that through the uh, Indonesian Red Cross and also the other organization to help uh, sending the humanitarian aid uh, to the victims and also to, to Palestine uh, side. All right. So there's a lot going on. And so the Indonesian government is working on, on you know, getting Indonesian people out, getting aid in. Is the Indonesian president and government also working with meeting with other countries to try to help get a ceasefire or help negotiate or bring about some sort of um, a pause in this? Uh, well, of course, uh, recently in United General Assembly emergency session on October 26th, Indonesia demanded an immediate ceasefire. And Indonesia will continue to stand with the people of Palestine. And we continue to support for two-state solution. And the Indonesian uh, uh, give, uh, give some uh, donation, give don- donation also through our government and also through the uh, Muslim uh, organization like uh, Muhammadiyah uh, Society, one of the Indonesian largest uh, Muslim organization. And we communicated also with uh, other leaders in the Middle East to uh, help how to uh, solve the conflict between uh, Palestine and uh, Israel. Okay, well, there's definitely, I mean, this is definitely a tragic situation. And I have interviewed party leader in Israel several times on this show who certainly wants peace. I interviewed Altman in uh, the West Bank, and I have been is sending messages on WhatsApp to make sure that he and his family are okay. It is just really, um, my heart goes out to everyone. It's just really a tragic situation. And um, so I appreciate you um, providing the update. And we're going to actually talk more about Indonesian foreign policy, but I don't have a good segue here. But can you just talk about what type of political system that Indonesia has Oh, yes, it is a very sad a tra- a, a tragedy of huma- uh, humanity, what we saw uh, between uh, Palestine and uh, Israel. Now, uh, talking about the political system in Indonesia, uh, the politics of Indonesia take place in the framework of a presidential representative democratic uh, republic, whereby the president of Indonesia is both as a head of state and also as a head of a government. And we have a multi-party systems. And uh, executive power is, of course, exercised by the government. And we have also legislative power, which is invested in both government and the bicameral, the People's Consultative of Assembly. So it's almost uh, similar like uh, United States, of course. The judiciary is independent from the executive and also the legislative. In 1945 constitution, it mentioned uh, the separation of of power between executive, legislative, and also judicative powers. Uh, We call it the governmental system as a presidential with parliamentary characteristic. So Indonesia has a presidential system and the election will be conducted every five years. President can be also re-elected for the second terms. And uh, after the second terms, uh, the president cannot be run, uh, cannot run for the uh, government anymore. And at the moment, as I mentioned, that we have a multi-party systems uh, next year. In February, 14th of February, you will celebrate uh, your uh, Valentine, while in Indonesia, we will have a <laughs> national election. I want so- to talk about that. But before we talk about that, um, the, I just made a note. So everything sounds similar to the United States with a couple of exceptions. We don't really have a multi-party system in practice. We only have two parties with a reasonable chance of getting elected. And the other difference I see is that your Supreme Court is more independent and less political. Our court is not accountable. They can't be removed. It's a big problem now where we have one party controlling the court. So do you do your high court? I don't know if you call it the Supreme Court. Do they have they have some sort of term limit, right? 
Yeah, we have also a Supreme Court, uh, which is independent. And the parties, as you mentioned, is a political parties. We have 24 political parties who will run for a 2024 election. 18 parties is uh, in, in a central level or in a, what you call it the federal level in, in your country. Uh, six uh, six uh, parties, a provincial level, especially for right. Aceh. Yeah, so without boring, without boring my listeners with too much wonkiness, you have sort of a hybrid PR proportional representation where at the provincial level, we call in the states of the United States, there is party you vote for party, there's slates, and then presidential. But the, the takeaway is you have, you know, 24 parties and more than two parties can have a reasonable chance of getting elected. Does that sound right? Yes, yes, that's right. So the difference is you only have two parties. We have multi-parties, and those parties will run for the election in 2024. So, Dr. Juliana, about this, I just want to clarify about the court. So on our high court, they can serve forever. They're not really accountable. The president selects them. Our upper house has to prove that person. So I understand Indonesia works a little differently. And can you just explain how it works and if there is a limit on how long they can serve? Okay, there is a, a, a limit of uh, age in the Supreme Court administration until the year, until uh, 70 years old. And then the process is uh, judicial commission will propose to the legislative or to the parliament and the parliament will conduct fit and proper tests, what we call by fit and proper tests, yeah, to decide whether uh, he is uh, eligible to be the Supreme Court. After the uh, legislative or the parliament agreed, then the process will go to the president and the, process, the president will approve a selection from, from the parliament. Well, thank you for that clarification. That that was a helpful clarification because there's been a lot of interest uh, among scholars, historians, and the chattering class on cable news about how the United States might be able to change our structure so that uh, the justices are accountable, term limits or you know staggering them. And it sounds like you have an age limit of 70, and there's also more people involved in making sure that they're qualified, and there's a commission, and so it sounds like there's more checks and balances. So that sounds like maybe we should look at that. So I understand that you, you'd mentioned this, that um, there's a presidential election coming up in February. I'll just note that in the United States, campaigns happen all the time, like they're year round. And I understand that they are truncated in Indonesia, as in many countries where you only campaign for a short number of time. But it's in February. So I now I imagine it's now underway. And your current president, Jokowi, is term limited. He seems very popular with, um, I read that he has an 80% approval rating. That is amazing. So can you just talk about how this is playing out and, you know, like some of the major parties that have a chance at winning? Oh, well, I guess the popularity of President Jokowi has been related with his policy, especially for the economy. That's why uh, us as the ambassadors, as the diplomats also, we have to give our priority to uh, economic diplomacy. President Jokowi also concerned or built a lot of infrastructure connectivity, uh, not only in uh, uh, big islands, but also in remote islands in uh, Indonesia. As you know, that we have 17,000 islands in Indonesia. So he built the infrastructure uh, connectivity, uh, air connectivity, train, and uh, also uh, uh, water connectivity. And also President Jokowi is very keen with the investment uh, sectors and also the uh, trade, export and uh, import. So he becomes very popular among the Indonesians because he can address to the need of the people, not only the elite, but also the grassroots uh, people. And uh, he will continue uh, to uh, focus on the economic as uh, he used to be a businessman before he became the uh, president. Wasn't he involved in wasn't he involved in furniture? 
Yes, he was the furniture business before he became the mayor in Solo. Solo is uh, in uh, a province of uh, Central Java. And then he became the mayor. After mayor, he was very successful as uh, become the mayor. He became the governor of Jakarta. And then uh, people in Jakarta was uh, were very happy uh, when he uh, became the governor. And then uh, the political parties uh, selected uh, him to run for the uh, president. And he became uh, the president for two terms, meaning that for 10 years. What is his political party and is his political party in control of the parliament? Uh, his political party is uh, from, we call it PDI Perjuangan Struggle, Democratic Indonesian Party. Because in our system, if you want to run to be the president or to be the governor or to be any uh, uh, leader in the in a city or in the provincial level, the channel should be through political party. You cannot be, at the moment, we cannot have a kind of a independent, independent person who will uh, propose to be the president. So the channel is, it should be from political party to propose, to propose yes. to be the candidate of the president. You mentioned that the president of Indonesia was, you know, was able to do these economic things and infrastructure. And our president, Biden, has tried to do that, but has been blocked because we have gridlock. And so it sounds like your president, his party has been in power and then you're able to do a lot more. So I I just wanted to clarify that. But Bill, um, uh, struggle, Democratic Party uh, has also a coalition with, with uh, some of political parties. So the coalition is the one who will, you know, uh, from time to time they debate and then they support the government side. But there is also the other side that uh, the opponent. So a check and balance in the parliaments is very important, you know, to control right. yeah. government uh, operation. So. Yeah, I'll just note that, yeah, these parliamentary sort of uh, coalition governments tend to, uh, they're more deliberative, but they tend to produce more democratic outcomes. So it sounds like uh, a lot has been able to happen with infrastructure, which is very important for the economy. Uh, All right. So let's, I want to talk about Indonesia's foreign policy. And I already, at the top, I already asked you about, you know, the position in, in Gaza, but just more generally, can you talk about the foreign policy? Yes, uh, well, when we talk about Indonesian foreign policy, Indonesia always positions itself as having a free and active foreign policy. This means that we want to maintain our friendliness and our openness. Indonesia was a chairmanship of ASEAN, the Southeast Asian Organization. And we have four foreign policy priorities. The first one is strengthening the diplomacy of sovereignty. The second one is protecting of Indonesian citizens and also Indonesian interests. The third priority is promoting economic cooperation. And the fourth is diplomacy of peace and humanity. That's why when you talk about uh, uh, Ukraine and also Russian war, when you talk about Palestine and uh, also Israel, our priority is also to create peace and humanity, peace uh, and uh, order in the world. This year, Indonesia became the chair of ASEAN, and we also implement the ASEAN outlook on Indo-Pacific. You know that we don't want our water, our maritime is being used as a rivalry between the US and China. Uh, uh, now the rivalry of influence on economy, on politics, on security issues is uh, also uh, Indonesians uh, in the in the in the priority of Indonesia. We implement what we call by ASEAN outlook on Indo-Pacific, and this is the spirit that, that the realization of priority of Indonesian chairmanship during ASEAN. We want to create Indo-Pacific uh, region 
and every country in the Indo-Pacific can get the benefit for the prosperous of the uh, people. We face the issue of uh, climate change as well now. So Indonesia is also very active in uh, promoting uh, to participate in creating the uh, response to a global uh, climate change. We have our target also to reduce the uh, uh, gas emission because Indonesia also suffered a lot from the uh, sea level rise. I, I mentioned that Indonesia is surrounded by waters. So Indonesia is surrounded by ocean. We mm-hmm. are in between the Indo Indian Ocean and also the Pacific Ocean. Right. So, and I know that the United States and China have been jockeying for access to that South China Sea because of Taiwan and, you know, it's a lot of different issues, right? Yes, yes. There is a, an issue of South China Sea in, 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 in the region now. We are not a claimant uh, for the South China Sea. Uh, there are six countries becomes a, a claimant. In the, the, the Philippines are involved. The Philippines right? also involved, right? The Malaysia also, Brunei, and then Vietnam, Cambodia, and Taiwan, and China itself. And ASEAN, the regional organizations, uh, offered uh, to solve that uh, issue. Of course, it's not easy to solve that issue, but uh, we want all the claimants, and Indonesia is offering the good offices uh, to sit down through workshop on managing potential conflict in the South China Sea. We uh, we try to uh, offer a good offices uh, between the claimants to sit down and uh, talk to create uh, peace and uh, stability in, in the region. It is very important because uh, when you talk about prosperity, then uh, we need a political and security stability in the region. Of course, if you can have a stability in uh, politics and also in uh, security uh, issues. Right. I think that that South China Sea, that issue is much more salient in terms of the geopolitical landscape than a lot of people realize. It doesn't get a lot of press in the United States. There was an article I read in the New York Times about it, and that's how I learned about the United States working with the Philippines. It's just a very complicated situation. But I guess what I'm hearing is that Indonesia likes to try to be neutral and try to work with all the different parties. And is it true that Indonesia was neutral on the Russia-Ukraine situation? In terms of Russia and uh, Ukraine situation, Indonesia, our position is to stop the war also. Because the war also uh, will impact not only among those two countries, but globally, we feel it now the inflation is very high. So uh, President Jokowi last year visited um, Ukraine, Kiev, to talk to the president of Ukraine. And also after that, uh, President Jokowi also visited Moscow. So we offer to be the facilitator. We offer also to be the mediator among those two countries. Uh, But then, uh, of course, it depends on both countries how to solve the problems. But we feel the impact of the war itself. If we talk Mm -hmm. about economy now, inflation everywhere, global inflation. So the economics is getting, getting harder. The supply chain is also disrupted. So we need to stop the war. Yeah, I mean, clearly. And um I'm on the side of Ukraine, but, you know, I understand the the geopolitics of all this. You mentioned inflation. I wonder if the war in Gaza at some point is going to affect your economy. Yeah, so far we haven't felt anything yet. But, of course, the impact from the geopolitical crisis, especially from Ukraine and also Russia, we feel it now. The prices of uh, food increasing now not only that the the gasoline also increasing so everything is is increasing now if this happens uh, continuously then uh, the people will suffer not only in indonesia but all over of uh, the world will suffer because of the war so 
there should have a, a solution to stop the war and also every country should contribute to for to the peaceful um, condition i know it's not easy very easy to say but we have to have in our mind and also in our culture to educate our people to train our people to educate our children also because they will be the future leaders to have a peace uh, a feeling yeah yeah i think yeah, I think to that point, Indonesia, you know, the third largest democracy, the fourth most populous country, has had a, a pivotal role in keeping the peace. And behind the scenes, I think a lot of people probably in the United States don't realize uh, how influential Indonesia is in simmering down and keeping tensions from escalating. And through this policy of uh, diplomacy and sort of helping people sit down at the table. And I'll just note that you had mentioned ASEAN. It is the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. And there it's Southeast Asian countries. And I believe Indonesia was one of the first in 1967. Does that sound right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. ASEAN is like an, uh, a, uh, an epicentrum of uh, Indonesian foreign policy and also an epicentrum of the group that is uh, targeted uh, for the ASEAN uh, uh, member countries. But Indonesia is, uh, for your information, uh, not only in ASEAN, not only in uh, regional organization, we play uh, our um, significant role in uh, international organization. Like uh, Indonesia has been elected as a member of UNHCR uh, 2024 to 2026. And then also we always uh, participate in UN peacekeeping uh, force. Even we send also women as a peacekeepers. Uh, mm -hmm. We send people uh, as a peacekeeper to uh, nine missions uh, worldwide. And recently also, uh, Indonesia um, uh, is supported as a member of UN Human Rights Councils. Yeah, and wasn't and weren't the world leaders in Bali here? Yes, last year Indonesia hosted the G20. And uh, in G20 meeting, of course, uh, they discuss about the global economy issues and also the issue of climate change and uh, also the issue of food security and also energy security. After the post-pandemic, uh, uh, COVID-19, all countries uh, felt how uh, economic downturn uh, experience in all countries. So we need to sit down together uh, to discuss what uh, should be done for the economic of the uh, global uh, global economy. And also it is pre predicted that by, by next year, even that uh, the global economy downturn, especially in developed countries, uh, but the Asian countries are still uh, high, but we will see also how China, China will develop for their uh, growth for, for next year. So, okay. yeah. That's, that's exciting. It, you know, uh, one of, we talked, you talked about the election and the parties, but one of my research interests is electoral systems for the intersection of democracy. And, you know, in the United States, we have first past the post and only, you know, you have to be one of the, a member of one of the two major parties to get elected and you can win with just a plurality. And so I want to ask you about um, the electoral system in Indonesia. Can you just explain? I know it's there's a lot to do in a short amount of time, but can you just give an overview of um, what your electoral system is like? Well, uh, the electoral system, um, well, first I'm going to talk about the voting age. Uh, voting okay. age uh, is uh, 17 years old. And mm -hmm. members of Indonesian National Arm Armed Forces and Indonesian police are not allowed to vote. But we as a government, uh, government uh, public servant, we are allowed to vote. We vote. Okay, in I just, I, I just, I'm sorry. I just I have to clarify this. So because I'm learning a lot. So are you saying that members of the police and military cannot vote? No, 
they're not allowed to vote because they have to defend the country and they're, they're just like a safeguard of the country. So they are not allowed to vote. Wow, that's, I had no idea. That's interesting. Yeah. And uh, this uh, coming year, this is the first time that Indonesia will elect simultaneously for the president, the member of parliament, and also the representative of provinces, and also in a municipality level at the same time. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's a, a, lot, a lot of a lot of ballots, of course, a lot, a lot of, of papers, and a lot, a lot of, of and, and and that brings me to the point of voter turnout. Even though Indonesia does not have compulsory voting like Australia, to my knowledge, your voter turnout is a lot higher than the United States. And I think one of the reasons it, it is is it true that it's an official holiday in Indonesia? It is a holiday in Indonesia on the 14th of February. Why the voting turnout is high? Because everybody wants to exercise their political rights. They're excited to go to the precinct. I wish, I wish <laughs> they would. Democratic uh, parties. It's like a party, you know, when you are uh, enjoying. Yeah. So can you just talk about how... I mean, how they get people so interested in the festive part of it? Well, because they want to express their aspiration. And sometimes they already have their candidate, their, their favorite candidate. Like in two, two, 2019, it was actually a very decisive, divided uh, bill because there are only two candidates, number one and number two. Mm-hmm. And so it was polarized, right? Just like the United States today. Just like it. United States. But the good thing about Indonesia, and this is the best one, probably other country can can learn. Once President Jokowi won the election, President Jokowi also included Prambowo in the cabinet. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because this wouldn't happen. It would never happen in the United States, I believe. Yeah, I mean, just imagine former President Trump having President Biden in the cabinet or vice versa. And, yes. But- so the society become united again. Look at the leaders. They're fine. They're all together now for the country because the only thing uh, uh, for the sake of the country yeah, the, the opening is supported by the president to run for the the uh, next election as a president, as a candidate of the president. So very interesting in our political culture. Uh, I think it will only happen in Indonesia where you include your opposition to be in your in your car, in your in your in your board. You know, so together. Yeah, but- Right. When I interview President Biden, I will ask him about that because that is just very exciting. Uh, uh, they don't. I'm emailing the. Well, so I'm I'm curious about the, you know, I mean, the, the, I think the citizens of Indonesia just understand the importance of voting more. They make a nexus between they go to vote and it's going to make a difference. I think here a lot of people think, oh, what difference does it make? They're all corrupt, whatever. But I'm I'm curious if you could just elaborate on the festive part of it. That it's the holiday; people make it fun. They're excited to go. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh yes. Yeah, well, uh, of course, there's also some tension, uh, but uh, the people uh, excited uh, to have the national election. They go to the precinct because they want to have to have something new also for the future of uh, of Indonesia. Uh, when I was a consul general of Indonesia uh, during the election time in 2019, uh, because at that time the two candidates was very uh, making the Indonesian in the United States very tense between number one and number two. So we made a kind of a culture show. <laughs> this is our fest- festival, you know, uh, election festival, election festival. So uh, we have to make it something that is, uh, you know, um, fun for the people. But in the meantime, because they already have their choice. Yeah, I mean, I I think if we had some sort of festival and we 
and we gave away swag and balloons to the children and lollipops. And we just, I just think we need to do something in the United States to uh, get more people to vote, but more importantly, to have an informed electorate. And it sounds like we have, um, we have a lot of uninformed, and I don't mean this in the elitist way, but it sounds like the Indonesian uh, populace, the voting, the selectorate um, educates themselves. And when they go into the voting booth, they have an understanding of how they're going to vote based on the policy positions. Is that is that a function of the media or just the candidates going around and talking to people? The people, uh, political parties and then uh, many, many uh, organizations also contribute to the peaceful, peaceful condition of uh, the election. Uh, before the election, of course, there was a kind of a tension that is very normal because of course, when you contest it with, uh, you know, you have your own uh, favorite favoritism of the candidature, candidature of the uh, candidate of the president. Then, but then if we make it uh, something relaxed and uh, a peaceful mindset, whatever the result is for the sake of um, for the sake of Indonesia and the experience in twenty. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to. I'm, I'm very. Imp- with how your election officials carry out elections, because there's a lot of discussion about election integrity in the United States and voter suppression and all of that. But you sort of do the opposite of voter suppression. You encourage everyone to vote. You have 17,000 islands and these votes. I understand you, you put your finger on the ink, right? Is that how it works? Uh, after that, you put the finger uh, with the ink because uh, to we don't want that person double, double. Uh, we don't have like your system where you use a computer. A <laughs> well, it sounds, like, it sounds like the fingerprint might be better because computers can be hacked. <laughs> so, so the finger, it's kind of like the eyeball. That's DNA. So that finger. Yes. Uh, after that, uh, it's very uh, difficult to erase that thing. It takes mm-hmm. sometimes, uh, like two days or three days. So you cannot, you cannot, if you favorite to one, one candidate and then you cannot go to another precinct to, to elect again. That's the right, way that we do it. Probably <laughs> sounds like very traditional and, and the system is actually from the lowest level. And then they will, they will report to the highest one and then to the highest one again. Everything is also now uh, digitalized. You know, they will report to uh, uh, WhatsApp to everything. What is the turnout and uh, what is the number of turn turnout and who won? How many uh, numbers supported for this uh, political party? Then they use also digital digitalization, and then mm-hmm. also for uh, and startup. For register also, they use the digitaliz- uh, digitalization as well. Yeah. But then the ballots should be also submitted. Yeah. Just to verify. Just to verify. There's a lot of, there's a lot of eyes on it. There's a lot of checks and balances. There's a lot of integrity. And at the local level, all the parties can look at it and make challenges and things like oh, yeah. that. Right. Okay. Yes. Yes. There is a lot of independent uh, watchers also to, guarantee that the uh, election will run smoothly and also peacefully and also just open and honestly that's the most important thing yeah and yeah well that's exciting I, you know i think that um you know, they're in the United States. A lot of people, a lot of politicians say the United States is the best in the world. Well, no, we're not. We're not. There is American exceptionalism, exceptionalism as a myth. But um, you know, other countries do things better, and it sounds like we could learn a lot from Indonesia, especially in terms of voter participation, engagement, and voter turnout. That's something I'm very interested in. My understanding is Indonesia is more of a collective society, so that might explain the higher voter turnout and the cooperation. Does that sound? I know that's an oversimplification, but yeah, but the economic is uh, position is also different. Our country, if we are very, if we suffer so many people, for example, during the COVID time, then of course it will ruin the economy of the whole country. So mm-hmm. the economic mighty. 
is also a, a different bill. So right. Uh, so it's an assess. It's an economic influence the decision making and the policy uh, taken by the uh, government. Right. Okay. Well, since you mentioned the economy, um, I'm interested in the economy. And can you just tell us about the Indonesian economy? And you'd mentioned GDP growth. So could you just expand on that a little bit? Yes. Uh, well, uh, the GDP growth in uh, uh, last year was uh, 5.3%. And in the second quarter, uh, until July, we reached already 5.1%, but we project until the end of the year 5.4%. So we are still waiting the result of the economic uh, for this year. But I would say that uh, among uh, what well, global economy is now reaching 3%, uh, we are above the global economic uh, growth, actually. But if you compare with the U.S. and European uh, countries, uh, I think the East Asian and Pacific economies are growing up. They are quite resilient uh, after the COVID-19. And uh, uh, this is very uh, uh, positive. And then also our investment, especially foreign investment, is also uh, progressing. A lot of foreign investment invests in Indonesia. Uh, besides also the, the trade is also surplus on uh, Indonesian side. If we look at the Vietnam, for example, uh, the, the growth is 4.1%. Uh, and European Union is uh, uh, less than uh, 2%, for example. So we are quite positive and uh, optimistic that uh, Indonesian growth until the year of 2023 uh, will be uh, 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 promising for Indonesian side, even though we have to work hard for that because of the uh, geopolitical uh, conflict, and also now the recent conflict in uh, uh, Gaza Strip, but uh, given all of that, and your, your economy is booming despite those problems. So, and a lot of this is trade and tourism, right? Tourism in Bali is it brings in yes. a lot of money. Yes, the tourism in Bali is uh, bounced back now. Uh, people visiting Indonesia for a tour beside domestic uh, tourists also around uh, Indonesia itself. Our manufacturing sector grew by 4.8% year on year in the second quarter of 2023. Our trade sector grew 5.25% and uh, the national investment growth continues to show improvement in line with the structural reforms that continue to be rolled out to create an increasingly attractive investment climate. So Indonesia is quite resilient. And uh, yeah, we are optimistic that uh, our growth will be um, uh, positive and uh, also uh, above uh, 5%. I mean, so like, um, and it sounds like while after COVID you were waiting for Bali tourism to bounce back for the Australian surfers and the hipsters in the United States to go play with the monkeys and all that, that in order to help, there was domestic tourism where people maybe from Jakarta or some of the other islands went to Bali to help. The, is that is that true? Yeah, not only Bali now. People also visited Lombok. It's another part of an interesting place in Indonesia, Lombok, and also Yogyakarta, Padang. So, yeah, a, lot of, a lot of people from the... I have a friend on Facebook right now. I'm getting FOMO because he's in Lombok and he has pictures of himself with the monkeys and going underwater and all of that. So that's a really hot destination for people in the United States right now. Yeah, we have a very good spot for diving and also for snorkeling. You can go to uh, Raja Ampat in Papua province for snorkeling. If you like snorkeling or diving, it's heaven for, for, for the divers. Oh, sounds fabulous. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, you should. Yeah. So what would you say what would you say to people in the United States that 
Yeah, you know, haven't really thought about visiting Indonesia, looking for a place to holiday. Why would they? Why should they come to Indonesia? And, and um, the, <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot, but uh, well, Indonesia is the third largest, uh, uh, no, the fourth uh, largest uh, population in the world, and we are a very diverse. Uh, country and archaeologic. We are number one uh, as an archaeologic island country. Uh, you know, we have 17,000 islands and we have very beautiful, beautiful uh, tourist destination in Indonesia. So I believe uh, if you come to Indonesia, you will enjoy uh, the scenery, the beauty of Indonesia, the culture, especially of Indonesia. So I would like to invite the U.S. citizens to enjoy Indonesia. I know it is very far, but there are okay. so many things now, that you now can that you, experience. Now that you have issued an invitation, everyone is going to go now. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 17,000 islands, that is just amazing to me. I mean, obviously, you know, they're not all populated, but uh, everybody I know that has gone there has gone back and back again because it is just so amazing and the, the beauty of it. and. The, I also think that every Indonesian I've met, and I realize this is an oversimplification, it's very nice. Like I, I feel like the Indonesian people are very hospitable and very friendly. And I think, you know, that is just part of the, the culture, whether it be the Javanese culture in Java or Chinese culture. Is that does that seem about right to you? Uh yes, uh we we're very uh, friendly uh society. And uh, you can look at the smiling face of the people. <laughs> people like to smile, even though sometimes they don't speak English. But <laughs> I'm amazed. Yeah, I'm amazed that you're always so friendly and nice to me and smiling, even though you're a very busy, high-level person. And you're sort of the opposite of, you know, a lot of people in high-level positions aren't as approachable and as humble as you. And I think that's. Some of that is you, and some of that is the culture, right? Where thank you very much for your <laughs> compliment. But it's part of our DNA that Indonesia is Indonesia is very friendly uh, people. So welcome if you visit Indonesia, you will enjoy the food, the culture, the um, natural resources that we have. So many things that we can offer to uh, a lot of people, to people. Oh, I, I love the food. So I try, it sounds like we, I try to end on a positive note on the show. It sounds like you already have, but do you have anything else, uh, some, any other positive things you want to talk about before we wrap up? Uh, well, Indonesia is the third biggest uh, democratic country in the world. Uh, and, uh, Indonesia is also uh, has uh, abundance of uh, natural resources and also tourism uh, destinations. So welcome to Indonesia. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. All of my uh, now that they have an invitation, all of my listeners are going to get a ticket and fly out there. Well, thank you very much. And um, I really appreciate you joining us from Cuba. Again, thank you so much, Dr. Yuliani. I know you're busy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much, Bill. I really appreciate that, and I enjoy having a conversation with you. Good afternoon. We welcome your feedback. Please follow the show on Twitter at PoliticsCons. That wraps up this podcast. Until next time, be kind to yourself and others.